My name is Patricia Kathleen, and this podcast series will contain interviews I conduct with women, female-identified, and non-binary individuals regarding their professional stories and personal narrative as it relates to their perspective. This podcast is designed to hold a space for all individuals to learn from their counterparts, regardless of age, status, or industry. We intend to transparently investigate the evolving global dialogue regarding underrepresented figures in all industries across the USA and abroad. By hosting these stories and conversations, we aim to contribute to the changing platform and representation of these individuals for the future. If you are enjoying this podcast series, be sure to check out our subsequent series called Roundtable with Patricia Kathleen, where we talk with a panel of guests regarding key topics that arise in these individual interviews. You can subscribe to all of our podcast series on iTunes, Stitcher, or Podbean, as well as our website, patriciacathleen.com. You can also contact me directly via this website or through my media website, wild.agency. That's W-I-L-D-E dot agency. Thanks for listening. Now let's start the conversation. Hi, everyone. Welcome back. I am your host, Patricia, and today I'm sitting down with Karina Glover. Karina is the founder of Her Headquarters. You can find it at herheadquarters.app. Welcome, Karina. Hi, thank you for having me. Thank you so much for attending. I'm excited to climb through what you do and um, all of the ins and outs of Her Headquarters. I think it's a fascinating company. And for everyone listening, I will read a bio on Karina. But before I do that, a quick roadmap of today's podcast so you can follow the trajectory. Um, We'll first look at Karina's academic background and early professional life to get a, a, a sense of the platform she's coming from. And then we'll turn our attention towards unpacking her headquarters um, app and uh, everything, all the nuts and bolts, the logistics of who, what, when, where, why, how, and then get into the ethos and the philosophy of the company and kind of the structure behind that, um, the brick and mortar of it all. And then we'll turn our attention towards the goals that Karina may have for both herself and her company moving forward. That's an area that is constantly changing given the current climate. And then we will um, wrap everything up with advice that Karina has Uh, regarding um, people who are looking to get involved with what she's doing or perhaps emulate some of her success. A quick bio on Karina before we start asking her all of our myriad of questions. Karina Glover is the founder and CEO of Her Headquarters, a brand partnership platform connecting women entrepreneurs to brand partnerships with women-owned businesses. Her app has launched in several major cities, and she's helped women all across the country scale their business by teaching them how to pitch, secure and execute brand partnerships. Karina has been a guest speaker at dozens of events and has um, over 20 media interviews speaking on entrepreneurship and business collaboration with media features like Cheddar, Business Insider, Sway, Afrotech, Thrive Global, and more. Karina was one of the first African-Americans in her state to raise venture capital with plans to expand her headquarters into a global media and tech company, creating products and experiences catering to female founders and entrepreneurs. Um, So Karina, I'm so excited that we found you. This podcast series is, you know, as everyone knows, based on female founders um, and uh, female identified non-binary individuals, founders, experts, and um, professionals. And so it seems like our paths are very uniquely aligned. And I want to get into what you're doing at her headquarters app. But before we do that, can you kind of draw us an, like an academic background and or early professional life that brought you to where you are? 
Yeah, sure. So um, I would say a lot of my my roots were established in high school. I went to uh, a school called Marion High School, and it was a private all-girls school here in Omaha, Nebraska, where I lived. And um, I think that going to that school really helped me realize that success was accessible to everyone, um, despite your background, despite where you come from, despite the limitations that you have. And so it really uh, made me strive to just be a beast, you know? And when I realized that like, you know, maybe I did come from a low income family, you know, maybe um, I do live in a rough neighborhood, maybe this, maybe that, but I can be successful too. And so leaving high school, I ended up getting a full ride scholarship to the University of Nebraska, Omaha. Nice. where I studied PR and advertising. Um, and I loved it. And so uh, that's my academic background. I ended up gra graduating with my bachelor's in communications. And from there, I started an event planning business. Uh, I actually never imagined owning a tech company. I loved everything about events. You know, I wanted to have the premier event planning company really working with um, high profile clientele and brands within the entertainment industry. And while I did, you know, get there, I ended up working with like the Grammys and the NFL Honors Awards, which is a huge accomplishment being from small Omaha, Nebraska, flying to LA so much that people thought I lived there. But um, the one thing that came out of traveling was that I had the opportunity to meet so many women entrepreneurs from all different backgrounds, um, different industries, uh, different expertise. And the one thing that they all had in common was that they all had trouble securing brand partnerships. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking if it's so time consuming, if it's so stressful, why do you keep pursuing it? Like I didn't understand. And they were like, well, because when they're successful, they increase your brand's revenue, they increase your brand's visibility. So it's worth it if you land the right partnership. And so during my event planning days, to be honest with you, I always felt that uh, which sounds crazy to some people, but as I was hitting my peak in business as an event planner, I started to feel more and more in my heart that I wasn't doing what I was supposed to be doing. Um, and it always came back to a love for working with and catering to women entrepreneurs. Nice. Yeah. So you, you got an inkling for that, that you were headed that way in some capacity. Yeah. So let's climb into like unpacking her, um, her headquarters app. I'm wondering when it was launched and if you had a co-founder or if it was just you and did you bootstrap or did you have funding? Uh, geez, all of the above actually. So, um, when I decided to let go of my event planning business, um, I'm one of those people I go all in. Um, so if I have an idea at noon, I'm working on it by 1205. And in that five minutes, I'm looking for a pen and pencil. So, um, you know, I was really confused on where to start and how to start. Cause I went from an expert in event planning to going into the tech industry where I didn't know how to code. I didn't know anything about design, I just had a vision and that was it. So I actually ended up finding an accelerator program um, and I was accepted into that. And the first thing they had me do was like, you need to understand your target audience and their struggles um, and their problems and know their story as well as, as well as you know your own life story. So my first step was I spent about four months doing research, which was like focus groups, surveys, and interviews with over 200 women across the country. Um, and so that was really my first step. And uh, I don't think I realized the value of that until it was time for me to start raising money. And when, uh, you know, I, I got all that research and 
validated the need for my product. And so then when I started to talk to, you know, angel investors or the, the leads of my accelerator program, they were impressed with the research and in the time that I invested to not just create a product just because I had an idea, but to do the research first. Um, so I don't have a co-founder. Um, I have an amazing team. We're really a small team right now. We're a team of three and we launched in June of last year. So just about to hear uh, a year old here um, in June, 2020, which I'm really excited about. Um, I, I wouldn't say that I am against having a co-founder. I think more so I've learned the hard way that not to focus so much on talents or not talents, but not to focus so much on titles, but to focus more on what do you bring to the table? You know, what is your area of expertise um, and, and why and how can you be passionate about this company and this product and who we're trying to serve as well? So I'm looking to expand our team, you know, within the next year or so. Uh, I don't really see that being a co-founder and more so that more so see that being a strong executive team. Yeah. So accelerators are interesting. I've spoken to dozens of um, people who have gone through them and they I, I find it to be very divisive. People either are in incredible support of them or feel like they didn't glean everything that they should have. Was your experience in it positive? Did you find it crucial to your success? Were you given education or did it just introduce you to clarifying your concept? Um, I would say the one that I was a part of, which is the Startup Collaborative, which is um, based in Omaha, Nebraska. For me, it was very, it was a, a key piece to my early success um, because like I said, I went from one industry to the other. Um, and so when I had the idea of her headquarters, when I went into a meeting, you know, all I had was an idea. In the beginning, I didn't have research. I didn't have the skill sets. I didn't have the team. And so I needed a lot of guidance. And in the beginning, prior to actually discovering and joining the accelerated program that I was in, I was doing all the right things, but I was doing them out of order. And so if you're doing the right things in the wrong order, that can, uh, that can impact your success. And so I feel like the, the team that I was a part of, they really not only believed in me and believed in the vision, but they had me do the work that was going to be pivotal to the foundation of, of, of this company and the success that it can have, which is really me becoming an expert in deeply understanding my my users. Um, and that time and time again, rather it be with media interviews or you know landing a new investor or a partnership, when I give them the stats of, of the research that I found, um, it gives me more credibility and it gives my brand more credibility and it makes people more passionate and excited about working with us. Um, and after that research, then they kind of gave me like, some pointers in some direction. So they let me drive the car, you know, but they yeah. sat in the backseat as a really strong supporter without micromanaging and overstepping. So for me, I speak highly of the experience that I've had with that particular accelerated program for sure. So focus groups are interesting. They're, they're integral to a lot of, uh, you tend to hear them more though on, um, I always think of Netflix because back in the early aughts, Netflix was just this, um, they were a flagship of using focus groups to kind of curate their UX and, and what they, you know, the user interface design of how they were bringing up their site. But this is obviously years before it became the beast it is now. And their attention to focus groups was fascinating to me. Their headquarters had a focus group, a um, little lab built inside of it because of the seriousness that they took it. 
um, too. And I'm wondering when you say that you used focus groups and research, it's so fascinating. I don't think a lot of people think about necessarily doing those kinds of research, like on the beginning stages of a startup. How did you go about doing that? And did, when you say you traveled around, did you do virtual focus groups or was it in person? Yeah, and- I, I did. Uh, I did both virtual and in person. Um, so first what I did, um, me and one of my first employees who is amazing, she and I created a list of, of basically, I believe it was like 350 women that we wanted to talk to. And we use LinkedIn to find those women. So we did keyword searches. So any woman that had the word founder or CEO or business owner, entrepreneur in the profile that was in one of the industries that we knew that we wanted to cater to, they made it onto a list. And then I would email those women. And the first step was just a basic um, survey of maybe no more than 10 to 15 questions. Um, so that was really surface level information that I got. And then, you know, based off their responses, rather they were, um, rather they were a woman who said, you know what, I have such a hard time securing brand partnerships and it's really time consuming to me. Or rather they said, I've never had a problem with this at all. I wanted to talk to them because if you're having a problem, um, I wanted to understand your history with the problem a little bit deeper. And if you've never had the problem securing partnerships, then I wanted to understand what are you doing right so that we can try to implement this into our platform so the rest of the women who are having a problem can experience the same positive outcome. So either way, um, my first step was, you know, basic, inner or sorry surveys and then the next up was i took a a small piece of those women who did the surveys and then i did one-on-one interviews and then that gave me you know additional insight so why did you say yes to this and why did you say no to this and you said you've done x number of partnerships tell me about those experiences and then um i would take a pull of those women and then see well what does their responses look like when i put them in a room, rather it be physically or virtually with five other women, and then get, you know, ask some deeper questions. And so it really helped me um, fine tune the core of their problem. And it helped me to fine tune what does version one of her headquarters look like. And because of that research that I did, I was able to come up with a version that was way better and way more focused than what I originally had in mind. So they helped me kind of change the product that, so it would be something that was more valuable to them. Nice. That's cool. I like it when people collect research, not just to validate what they were doing, but to kind of curate it and yeah. you know, make a, a clearer sense of the business, particularly like what you're saying, listening to, you know, the, the, the people that you spoke with. So can you walk us through, let's give everyone in the audience listening an idea of, so kind of unpack it. What does it do your service in particular? Who are your populations? Who are your co- clients? All of that. Yes, um, my favorite topic. Uh, So her headquarters is a brand partnership platform for women entrepreneurs who want to use partnerships to grow their business, essentially. So on our platform, um, in one misconception when when people hear brand partnerships, they think an entrepreneur is securing a partnership with the big brand like CoverGirl or Nike. Scratch those brands out. These are women entrepreneurs only on our entire platform. So founders, CEOs, business owners, even, you know, freelancers transitioning into business owners. So these are women um, on our platform from different industries like fashion, beauty, entertainment events, PR, you know, maybe photo and and, and lifestyle um, industries. And what they're doing is securing partnerships on our platform. So the way that it works, let's say Vanessa 
owns a fashion line, for example. Vanessa gets on her headquarters and we have a vetting process. So we really want to maintain the integrity of our platform. And so for us to really save you time in securing a partnership, we want that conversation to be founder to founder, CEO to CEO. So that when you are talking to another user on our platform, you're talking to the ultimate decision maker and not the marketing intern, for example. So going back to Vanessa, she joins our platform and um, she answers a five question quiz. So like Vanessa lives in LA, so she's gonna answer, what type of partnerships are you interested in? Do you want local LA only partnerships? Are you open to national partnerships? Um, the women that you wanna partner with, what industries are they in? So are they in fashion, beauty, PR, events? And so she's gonna check off her responses. Based off of Vanessa's unique preferences, our uh, newsfeed will then curate uh, a list of brand partnership opportunities and other women uh, that she can partner with, and they're gonna, our app is going to highlight those women as potential partners. So everything Vanessa sees on her timeline fits the exact interest that Vanessa has. Um, so in the event, let's say Vanessa is launching um, her biggest collection this fall, and she wants to partner with a woman-owned PR agency because she wants just massive press for this particular campaign that they're coming out with in the collection. So Vanessa can post on her headquarters the specifics of what she's looking for. So, you know, Vanessa's line is seeking a PR agency. Um, this brand can be national. We're looking for this PR agency to provide A, B, and C. And in exchange for this partnership, we're going to offer them paid partnership, um, free product for their entire team and sponsorship placement. So whatever it is that she's offering this other brand as an incentive. And she also provides the dates and the time frame of this partnership. So is this going to be a three-month partnership or a three-week partnership? As soon as she submits her collaboration, it will then appear on the newsfeed of any other user who fits her criteria. So Vanessa doesn't have to spend time emailing uh, maybe 15 brands or reaching out to 15 different women. She just puts it out there one time and then the women who fit her criteria will then view her collaboration and send, submit a request to partner with Vanessa. So then all Vanessa has to do is hop on her phone, view their profile and say, this is a perfect partner. I want to partner with you or maybe you're not the best partner for this particular project. So we make the process of securing those partnerships easier by bringing the leads directly to you and then also showing you unique matches of women that you could partner with that meet your preferences. Do you, and that's interesting. Do you ever serve as an advisor? Can people reach in if you think that someone's actually requiring a, a set of criteria that don't doesn't necessarily serve their goal? Is there any kind of counseling that you provide or do you kind of just leave it open to the platform? Yeah, so we actually have uh, what we call VIP collaboration experts on our team. So our goal, rather you're on the free account or you're on the premium account, our ultimate goal is for you to have a good experience on our platform. So if we see, I'll give you an example, actually. We had one user recently post um, a partnership opportunity and it was just a little too vague um, as far as what she was looking for and who she wanted to partner with. And she's not gonna have a good experience if we don't jump in and say, hey, um, Sasha, you know, we saw your post. We saw that you haven't had any requests from women wanting to partner with you. These are some things that you can change that are really minor that'll take you less than 90 seconds that will make all the difference. So we want you to be successful. So if we see that, you know, a post that you made um, for a collaboration opportunity is not generating the results that you're looking for, we're going to step in. We also do collaboration matchmaking sessions. So if someone, and we usually see this with women who are maybe new to partnerships where they're like, 
I want a partner, but I don't really know what I'm looking for. I don't really know what I need. We do one-on-one -on -one calls with them for about 20 to 30 minutes to figure out what does your business have coming up over the next three to six months? Um, and what do you need to make that project, event, or campaign successful? So we help them figure out what their opportunities are. So um, we do a lot to make sure our users have a successful experience on our platform. And uh, one thing I wanted to add is that our users, they're diverse, not only in industry, not only in location, but in the range of businesses. Some of these women have businesses that launched six months ago, and some of them have businesses that have been around for nine, 10 years. So we have a really good mix of startups to really big power players on our platform. That's fantastic. I like that the the diversity, it breeds a better ground for, you know, for having this kind of um, unique experience. So how, how is the how is the financial breakdown of the customer experience? Is it a subscription model? How, how are you charging yeah. people for this? So we give um, women the opportunity to select whichever account level they like. Um, so we have a basic free account level, which is really restricted. So on the free account level, the only thing you can do is post collaborations. So if you were to see a partnership opportunity that would be great for your business, you are restricted from being able to request to join that partnership. So you're missing out on opportunities on the free version because all you can do is post opportunities that you have and you're not able to request to join other partnerships. Um, on our free or on our premium account level, which is only $8.99 a month, um, and we don't do contracts, you know, you can upgrade or downgrade at any time. Users on that account level, they are able to post unlimited collaborations. They can request to join partnerships. They can also access the potential partners feature where um, our platform will display women that are good matches for them based off of their preferences. They can also see users' collaboration history and ratings. So you, they get way more functionalities and um, premium features. That's cool. And the lack of the contract and things like that, it, I think it opens people up to trying it out. You know, there's yeah. no, there's no harm for $9 a month, I think. In I know, right? Like, if you can grow. The best that can happen is that you secure partnerships that help boost your revenue and brand visibility. And, and one thing that's been really cool that we didn't expect when preparing to launch is that we originally anticipated that a lot of the women would want to secure partnerships with other women on in their same city that maybe they didn't know about prior to her headquarters. And it's actually been the opposite. We've seen that over 80% of the partnerships secured on our app are between women in different cities. And so uh, that makes us really exciting. You know, someone in San Francisco partnering with someone in Houston or someone in New York partnering with someone in LA. Um, and right now we're actually working on making our platform available to women in any, any city. So currently, if you try to sign up, you're only going to see like LA, New York, uh, Miami, San Francisco, and Houston listed. So now uh, within the next week or two, you're going to be able to see, even if your city's not listed, you can still join our platform and just type in, you know, I'm in Denver, Colorado, or, you know, Las Vegas, Nevada. I see. Okay. So you are limited to specific cities that people have to live in to sign up. Right now we are, but we've been, especially with the this COVID taken over everything. Um, we've seen a lot of women trying to join our platform who are outside of those six cities. And so, you know, we're like, well, maybe we haven't officially launched in your city yet, but if you are still interested in partnering with women in LA or San Francisco or Houston, then we're gonna give you access to our platform anyway. So I tell people um, and, until we're able to update our platform and allow you to enter in the city that you live in for the time being, just select the city that you're closest to. And within the next couple of weeks, you'll be able to update your city so it's reflecting where you currently live. 
Sure. And those kinds of things can be sussed out anyway, right? Yeah. It doesn't really matter what anyone's from anymore. Well, I guess it I mean, does. I wouldn't care if, if I could partner with a great brand. I don't care if you are down the street or, you know, in New York. Oh, sure. Yeah. And, and the world's become very virtual, as you mentioned. I'm wondering, it sounds like you've had a, a really um, beautiful takeoff. And so, and you're in this really interesting space within the first three years, you know, of your launch and everything else. Do you have a one to three timeline or um, goal set sheet? And also has that changed with the recent um, COVID-19 breakout? You have this online presence and company, so it should change, but it also sounds like it's not going to be detrimental to the life cycle. Yeah, no, I would say um, I feel very grateful that we have been one of the businesses that wasn't hit hard in going under um, because of, of this pandemic happening. I know that's the reality for a lot of people right now. Um, but I would say, you know, our three-year goal or within the next three years, we definitely plan to be available nationwide so that women don't have to, you know, type in the city that they're in because it's not on our platform just anywhere in, in, in the U.S. next year, we'd have just completely join our platform. Um, we're also looking to raise our first official seed round this year. Um, of, so I'm excited for that. There is um, a couple VCs that I have in mind that are like on my top goals list um, and really just expanding our team, you know, expanding our executive team. We have a small, great team, but I think for some of the goals that we're looking to accomplish, um, you know, we need some more power players at the table. So I'm excited about that. And just releasing version two of our platform. You know, I, I talk to women all the time and I think almost anyone listening who has a business can say that they use uh, email in their calendar every single day. Like it's a part of how they run their business. And I want to expand our platform so much and to make it so valuable that it becomes a part of you know, one of the tools that women use every day to grow and manage their business. And so that's ultimately what my vision is. Um, that's yeah. a good goal. That's lofty. I like that. I like yeah. an unabashed goals. That's fantastic to use something as much as you use email. Yeah, yeah. Put it out there. Make it happen for sure. So I'm wondering, um, given that you've come from another industry and you did this baptism into a new tech industry and you have this event planning. Never history. heard it said that way. I like that. <laughs> yeah. All right. That's how I view things. Um, but I think that I'm wondering, you have these like these two areas, this dichotomous, you know, relationship. And so within those, I often find people have um, moments of, of like key advice. Like, have you ever had conversations that, that cross pollinated between event planning to the tech startup that you're like, these are true, like they're axioms. They're true across both industries. Um. I would say perspective is everything. So I'm, I'm going to tell you a story. So when I launched my my first business, which was the event planning business, um, I was the very much the very uh, stereotypical broke college student. So I was in my senior year of college um, in my last semester, and I saved up like three thousand dollars, which is a lot for a college student to save up for um, you know a launch party. And so at the time, I thought all you need is a website and a logo and some business cards, you throw a party and then boom, you have all these clients. Like, thank God I've grown and matured and I'm not as naive, but that's what I really thought at that time. And so I remember this so vividly. Um, it was the morning of my launch party and I woke up and you, the confidence that I had, you would have thought I was like winning a Nobel Peace Prize. Yeah. Like, just on, not even 10, I was on like 100. Yeah. And at the end of the night, I was crying on the bathroom floor 
And what happened was that not a single person showed up to my launch party. I invited almost 100 people that I wanted as potential clients and no one showed up. And I would have never in a million years um, saw that coming, you know? And they say that there's no hit worse than the one that you don't see coming. And I felt like I got knocked out on my first day as an entrepreneur. And um, I remember for weeks after that, it was a constant reminder because since no one showed up, yeah. all the food that I had catered was in my refrigerator. So when I'm at home, every single time I open the refrigerator, it was just like, no one showed up. Here's your reminder. Yeah, uh, It sucked. And mm -hmm. I remember thinking after that, like, you know, you could let this one moment define you and let that be the end, or you can learn from it. You can evolve from it. And, um, you can, you can end up being a champion after all, even though you did have a knockout, you know? Yeah. And, uh, I learned from that moment that perspective is everything. So when I transitioned from event planning to, you know, tech industry, I felt really, insecure. I felt like an amateur. I felt like, um, I didn't feel smart. I remember going into meetings and talking to people and they're talking to me as if I'm at their same level of expertise. So they're using words I don't even know yet. And I remember sure. leaving meetings, having to Google, like, what does this mean? And what does that mean? Cause they were yeah. using their industry language and, um, it made me feel really insecure and I felt discouraged. And I remember thinking, uh, kind of going back to my event planning day one and, and now, you know, my tech days day one, I thought you can use this as a challenge um, to, to and, and use this as an opportunity to grow and learn. But like my perspective was everything. Um, mm -hmm. And so I can say in, in any industry, everyone focus on success. And I think that founders sometimes, especially when they're going into the journey for the first time. Um, we focus so much on the product and the sales and the customers, but like focus on your mental and your emotional strength too. Um, yeah. Because that is what's going to carry you on the hardest of days. Um, and I feel like it's an area that's kind of neglected for entrepreneurs, especially women entrepreneurs. Like everyone doesn't talk about the day they were crying on the bathroom floor. Like everyone doesn't talk about the day that they left a meeting and they cried in their car because they felt completely incompetent and they didn't understand anything, but they were just smiling and they didn't feel comfortable speaking up saying, talk to me where I'm at. I'm not there yet. You know? Yeah. So perspective is, is, is everything and uh, work really work on building your mental and your emotional strength. That's really important. Yeah, I, I completely concur. And I think those are like key pieces of advice. And that kind of rolls us into my final question. Um, we're running out of time today and that's a bummer, but I'm wondering um, when you look back um, because you're so fresh on this second journey, you know, and the first one, it sounds like you garnered and gleaned a lot of wisdom from that. Um, do you have pieces of advice that you would give um, anybody that was coming up that was mirroring a, a lot of your same, you know, um, expectations and things like that? Do you have pieces of advice that you give yourself or that you would give, you know, um, a dear friend um, that came up to you? Um, I, I would say the two things that come to mind, I'll, I'll do the one that I think is most important first. Um, when you're building your team, do not build your team based off of like. Um, so yes, you should like the person that you're working with, right? But I made some mistakes in the past. Um, 
with both with her headquarters and my event planning business where it's like, oh, I like that person. We get along so well. We always chit chat. You know, they seem smart. They should come be my business manager or they should come and, and, and put them in this high role that they're not qualified for just because I like them. Um, so when you're considering building your team, um, base it off of competency, base it off of skill sets, based off of, of expertise, and then also make sure you like them. But liking them uh, and, and putting them in a certain position just because you like them and there's no other factor involved, um, that is a, that's not a smart move. And I've done that. And I didn't learn the first time. And then I did it again. I'm like, dang it, you're supposed to learn that the first time. Yeah. Um, and, and also I would say, in some positions, potential is enough, you know, uh, maybe for an entry level position intern where I like them, they're learning, um, and I see that they could potentially be great. That's, that's fine. Potential is not enough for a co-founder. Potential is not enough for a CFO or a CTO. And those are type of the type of mistakes that I made. Um, and then I would say the second thing is Whenever you feel yourself getting to a place where there's internal or external chaos or anxiety or panic, um, retreat yourself from being in the CEO role in, in that moment, if it makes sense, because you cannot be an effective, strong leader who is making wise strate strategic decisions that are in the best benefit for your company if you're making decisions from a place of panic, if you're making decisions from a place of fear or, or anything else. And I think that this whole COVID thing really revealed that um, yeah. when yeah. people are making decisions that they might end up regretting because they haven't taken a step back to like evaluate the situation, evaluate my resources, evaluate my options, be calm, and then go back to the table and, and make a decision from a place of calmness and, and being smart. So that's what I would say. Um, yeah, it's a really key piece of advice. There's a lot of anxiety even without the current present times, you know, in launching anything on your own. And then also just to be able to stand back from your role and not make business decisions when you're not in a clear head. It's amazing. I've, um, I've been talking with women and um, female identified non-binary individuals for the past couple of years. And it's the first time anyone's talked about, you know, trying to keep one's head very business oriented when you're in that role. I think it's it's crucial too. You're absolutely yeah. right. Um, well, those are fantastic pieces of advice. I love that. Um, don't base your team built on like and um, keep your business head business when you're making business decisions. <laughs> I love yeah. it. Um, we are out of time, which is um, tragic, but I will circle back around, Karina, and see if I can convince you in about a year to speak with us again because I just... I think it's so tasty and I love, you know, I obviously, everyone, my audiences know I love startups, um, but particularly ones in this stage, it's yours is so healthy sounding and um, your app sounds so fantastic. Everyone listening should absolutely jump on. Um, $9 a month is worth any experiment. Yeah. And, it's, and we're um, giving away your first 30 days for free. So if you go to her headquarters.app, um, sign up for the platform, just use female CEO as your promo code and you get your first month free and 25% off your second month. So that's like $6 maybe. So yeah, so we everybody want needs to be doing it immediately. Yeah. <laughs> you can't afford yeah. not to. We make it too easy. Yeah. Yeah. That's fantastic. Well, thank you so much for meeting with me today, Karina. I appreciate your time. Absolutely. Um, and for everyone listening, thank you so much for giving us your time. And until we speak again next time, remember to always bet on yourself. Sláinte.